Hi, I'm your host Keshav Chauhan and this is Milliseconds, an attempt at personifying all of the things we see but don't think about. Sam Harper is a former filmmaker and marine biologist turned user experience designer. A UX career coach with experience at two award-winning agencies, he's also the first place winner at 2019 San Diego Zoo Hackathon as well as a semi-finalist and project manager in the X-Prize Big Ocean Button Challenge. A person who is particularly excited by the evolution of user experience design as it relates to new technologies, especially VR, AR, voice technologies and environmental sustainability, he's also an avid reader, podcast enthusiast, scuba diver and a warm, friendly couchsurfing host. This conversation follows a similar tangent. Uh, hi Sam, loved your article about UX bootcamps, the 2021 edition. It was really insightful. And the fact that you have done a bachelor's in fishing and fishing sciences and management got me really intrigued. So like how did these two paths like intersect UX design and marine biology? What what happened? Yeah, thanks Keshav. Uh, thank you for having me on. So uh, to answer your question, <laughs> um, I think that whenever, you know, whenever you look at, look back on the life of someone who is, you know, they've gotten to a point that you want to be. I know that there's a lot of UX designer, people who are aspiring to be UX designers who will, you know, look at individuals like myself. I might look at like, you know, Steve Jobs, for example. And I think that we often tend to look at what they did and say, oh, they planned to get there when really, you know, when it comes down to, uh, comes down to life, it's a lot more messy and chaotic and you don't really, um, it, it's more about just kind of discovering what you're interested in. And uh, to answer your question about the marine biology, I, uh, growing up, I had a huge fascination in the ocean. Uh, I've owned fish tanks before. I had a saltwater fish tank. Uh, I actually just bought a house where you can see this big, big blank yeah. wall right there. I'm planning on getting a, I, I hope this is video, by the way. Otherwise, this is not going to make sense. I'm trying my webcam. <laughs> it's, um, it's only audio, but yeah. Oh, oh, shoot. Okay. Sorry, audio <laughs> listeners. Um, I've got a big blank wall that I'm planning on putting yeah. a big fish tank up. But I've always really just been fascinated by ocean life and sea creatures and things like that. And um for the longest time, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I just started trying things. I went to film school for three years. Um, eventually, I decided just for personal reasons that I wanted to give marine biology a try. Um, planned on, uh, you know, going going balls to the wall and getting my PhD in that. And, the you know, the longer I got, I stayed out of my, or after I graduated, the longer I stayed out of that field. Uh, obviously I'd been trying to find work that was very difficult. Uh, the more I just, you know, things just kind of shifted for me. And in some ways it's, uh, I, I will say that my, my bachelor's degree in marine science is kind of a blessing and a curse in its own way. Uh, I feel, especially when I was first trying to get into UX, it was kind of a curse in that sense, because I didn't have that traditional degree in psychology or graphic design or all these areas that it seemed like all these UX designers in droves were coming from. I felt like I was over yeah. at Pluto here. Like 
opposite end of the <laughs> spectrum. You have a degree that has nothing yeah. to do with UX. And yet, I will say that as a, you know, after I eventually got my experience, I got my first job and my second and my third and my experience started, you know, it was like a little snowball at the top of the hill that just starts rolling and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. What I realized from that is that my, uh, my undergraduate degree in marine biology actually taught me how to be a really, really good UX researcher. It taught me about, you know, I learned about like things like sampling bias. I learned about, uh, you know, getting, setting up a good study. I looked at, uh, basically learned about um, pretty much how to answer, you know, ask and answer questions without really, you know, giving a definitive answer. You know, I think that there's, there's some people that are amazing on the visual side, don't get me wrong, but you put them in a UX researcher's shoes and the, um, <laughs> yeah. they're not as good. Well, that's yeah. kind of putting it, putting it politely, which is fine. Everyone has their strengths. Everyone has a weakness. There's things I'm not as great about either. Um, but I feel like that's kind of been my big superpower that my marine biology background has given me. I mean, first off, it gave me exposure to a part of my life that I'd been curious about for a while. But then it also allowed me to take these skills and apply them to UX research. And what's nice about UX design is that it's such a universal field that you, uh, I feel like you can come in from a bunch of different backgrounds. You know, yeah. I, there's people who get into this, who had came from an acting background and were successful, or they came from hospitality and tourism management, or these fields where you think like, you know, how does this tie into UX? But then when you listen to the skills that they brought from that previous field, you realize that it makes sense. Yeah. Looking back, will you like, if you had a chance to do a proper formal education training in UX. So will you like do it or like, will you continue the same path that you're on? Like, um, you know, I would say just for the sake of efficiency, if I knew, uh, that I, and I guess this is the, you know, it, it's kind of difficult to answer it from this perspective because, uh, nobody ever, you don't know what you know, what you don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if I knew everything that I knew right now, I would have probably either, you know, just gone straight into a UX program and just gotten as much experience as young as possible, as soon as possible. Um, but realizing that I didn't know what I know, you know, I didn't know 10 years ago what I know now. I mean, it, yeah. it honestly worked out for me. Yeah, for for sure. Like so, like let's go back in time a bit uh, to your first intern, okay. which was in Alaska. Uh, it was based on bald eagle training. Like, what what's yeah. it exactly? Like, can you explain it a bit more in detail? Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny you you mentioned that. That was actually sort of where I uh, I like to half jokingly, half serious say that that's where I had my quarter life crisis. <laughs> uh, that's where I was. You know, I was very heavily involved in the biological sciences. I was having a very, very, very difficult time finding work. Uh, mm -hmm. Even for someone with a bachelor's degree, I was looking at getting, you know, I was, I was doing a geospatial uh, certificate where I was learning more about ArcGIS mapping. Uh, and I eventually got hired on with the, uh, basically with the, the State Department of Alaska to 
essentially create maps around where all these bald eagles have their nests set up. Um, mm. Yeah, I won't. I don't want to bore you or your listeners too <laughs> much with details, but um, it was one of those experiences where you. It's like you look back on it and you realize that you were so grateful that it it happened, but it kicked your ass so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was just kind of where I realized, like, I didn't really want to be. Um, it, it was kind of the beginning, the beginning of the end. Like, it, it's it's what catapulted me to start looking at other careers, and I found UX design from that. Um, oh, yeah, but yeah, it was just you know being in Alaska it was very cold. It was um, it gets very dark, like basically looks like nighttime and uh dusk all day in the winter time um and you know i'm i kind of realized that i'm not really so much of an office person anyway uh it was just a lot of personal things but i think that those kind of experiences whether you know for your listeners whether they're they've gone through that or they're going through that right now i do feel that those kind of very difficult um difficult job experiences where you you may have spent a lot of time like building up to something and you realize you weren't happy with that i think that those can actually be a really huge blessing in disguise and that's what that was mm, for me yeah i was just going to say that phrase man that, that blessing in disguise like yeah. i think it's intentionally seeking discomfort in that sense like it helps you down the line a lot a lot more than you can think of it's mm-hmm. like really really interesting so like we i like to go on tangent from here like with facebook's rebrand to meta and talks about the metaverse the ar vr and voice technologies are like rapidly progressing these days and like to a point that ux designers have a fomo of these technologies and are not able to choose a skill to specialize in like how would you like tell someone to choose one skill and like not be excited about all of them at the same time what's your take on this yeah <laughs> so i think that um the best thing that i can say is i think that the the happiest parts of my careers have of my career have been what i didn't necessarily try to fall into so to speak um they just kind of happened um now i will say that you know with when the internet was first released and we were on web 1.0 and it was very simple you know obviously ux wasn't really an official term back then it was really soft it was web designers or um, basically programmers that just happened to be doing design as an afterthought, hence why those websites looked like shit in the 90s. That's okay. It was, we, we got to build on it and it was, it was good for us to learn, learn that uh, in the end. But uh, it's kind of gone from, if you think about, uh, you think about an exponential curve, right? So for a while, it just kind of stays at this low level, might increase a little bit, increase a little bit, and then boom, shoots up. Yeah. And we're kind of at that point where I feel like we're starting to go from like just increasing a little bit. You know, I would say this was probably marked right around the time that uh, Steve Jobs released the iPhone. That's mm-hmm. when we started realizing that these pay, you know, we don't necessarily just need a com- a desktop computer to access the internet. Now we yeah. can do that on our phone, and that was a huge game changer. So then that's, I think, that's kind of where we started seeing that exponential curve increasing a little bit more. And now we're seeing, you know, other things. Now we've got refrigerators that connect to the internet. We've got security systems that connect to the internet. We have TVs that connect to the internet, and 
it's like, yeah, I would especially say that even for individuals like myself, it can be difficult to keep up with what's happening in technology. You know, everybody started talking about non-fungible tokens last year and most people still don't even know what that is. Like I just learned two weeks ago that, uh, I forgot the name of the, the name of the platform, but you can actually go on and like buy real estate, basically virtual real estate for the cost of real real estate. (laughs) And yeah, it's, and so what I'm trying to say is like, there's going to be so many different offshoots where UX is going to be necessary. It's not just going to be web anymore. Uh, not even, you know, not even just mobile anymore. Now we're going to have to think about how UX is done in, uh, in cars, you know, Tesla set the, set the standard for what, uh, what electric yeah. cars should be. And now Ford and Toyota and all these other companies are trying to imitate them. Uh, yeah, that's true. So now we got to think about UX in cars. Now, uh, voice interaction is starting to be a, a bigger and bigger thing. You know, I'm sure eventually we're going to get to like, we have smart home automations. Who's to say we won't actually have smart homes that you go in, you mm. can talk to it and, um, you know, it'll have blinds that can adjust the, uh, adjust the opacity. It can like display like crazy stuff on the wall. Who knows what this is going to be like. And it's just yeah. for that reason. Yeah. The best thing I would say, honestly, is just, start diving into UX, see where you land, where you wind up. And then generally I found like with each job I've had, I get a new perspective and a new type of role that I get to do. And I would say the best thing you can do is just like throw yourself into it. Like don't think too much about like wanting to specialize in one area or another, just throw yourself right into it. And you're going to learn that along the way. And that's going to be so much more effective than just trying to, sit in a vacuum and noodle through it yeah that that's true so you mentioned like real estate in metaverse so do you think so like why do you think people are buying that stuff because it does not hold any real value uh in this real world like for example in case of nfts you can say that there are some nfts which are like accessed which give us access to ticketed conferences but with the real estate like a virtual real estate there is no like tangible value so like why do you think people are going crazy about it so it's interesting that you bring that up because this concept of relying on something that's not actually technically real has actually been around for quite a while. It's not not really a new concept. And I think of that with uh, with currency, right? So mm-hmm. currency and other things, you know, you think about like gold, for example, people say gold is really valuable. I mean, it's just, it's mm-hmm. a piece of metal. And yeah. if nobody assigned value to it, it would be worthless. Um, but people do, and that's through pretty much through like more abstract concepts uh, about supply and demand. And when you think about, I mean, especially the big thing that I think about is currency. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, you're talking about U.S. currency, you're talking about uh, like any kind of currency throughout the world. Really, what currency is is it's just a series of debts. It's basically, or it's basically just a like a ledger, you know, not a ledger necessarily, but like a, um, you get what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's basically just the government saying like, I owe you this, I owe you that. So in a sense, money and currency is not really a real tangible thing anyway. So 
with the metaverse, we're just kind of taking that to a whole nother level. And then, of course, blockchain comes out because with a lot of those, uh, you know, those those ledgers and ideas around, uh, you know, concepts around like what's what's owed where is held in a central banking system. So then Bitcoin can come in and it can make it so that we don't have to rely on that. And, you know, there's even um, I think El Salvador is. Uh, yeah. started incorporating Bitcoin as a major currency. You know, you look at uh, the massive inflation happening in Venezuela where their money is just out of control. They, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they started incorporating Bitcoin as a, you know, as a primary currency. And uh, going back to your question, I realize I'm kind of rambling here. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's not technically, you know, if you're buying land in the metaverse, and this is not an area I'm super, super well-versed in, but uh, if you're buying land in the metaverse, you're basically, you know, what you can do a lot with that. From what I've seen, like uh, Nike actually bought like a big section of that metaverse land and they've got like their own storefront. So then if people log in, then they can go to a Nike store, they can interact with it. They can, uh, they mm. can get like more exposure. I think Gucci did the same thing. So yeah. it's kind of, it, it's this interesting idea i mean it's tying also tying into ux is that we've technically had relied on abstract concepts like money for mm -hmm. quite a while now it's just it's we're going into a much more you know a world where things are getting more and more abstract and we're going to need design to be able to accommodate that yeah so do you think in the coming years on the same line uh, we'll be more focusing on humanizing technology or technologizing humans What's what's your take on it? Which side do you think will be humanizing technology? Yeah, uh, I think that I think that this this whole concept of um, you know people putting uh, putting chips in their brains and genetically modifying themselves I think that's scary for a lot of people. And I'm yeah. not going to say that there aren't certain applications where that could be helpful. Like if somebody's born with you know some kind of severe uh, severe terminal illness that we wouldn't be able to somehow genetically modify them so that way they could actually be healthy. But I think that the way that people are going to start accepting, or I mean, obviously we've accepted technology in our lives quite a bit, but I think that the way that this continued acceptance of technology is going to happen is if uh, this technology is going to be more humanized. So yeah. I know this is an audio, so you can't see my phone. I just bought a Google Pixel. Yeah. One of the things, and I actually have Google Google devices around my home, the Google <laughs> Assistant. And I like that because it doesn't feel like I'm talking, you know, I'm not, whenever I talk to it, yes, it's all that, pro all that data is getting processed as zeros and ones, um, but it's not presented to that to me that way it's presented in the friendly google assistant voice it, it's even yeah. got a lot of personality and sass to it so it feels like i'm talking to a human not that i'm talking to a computer yeah that's right so you mentioned about brain chip implants like uh, interfaces that elon musk has been like doing stuff in, with Neuralink. so uh, that being said like humanizing technology i also prefer that that road but do you think that if people start to like make this a very premium thing then there could be a sort of fear of missing out around this as well. Like, like there's on gold and all that stuff. There could be also, this could be very premium stuff like brain chip plants. So that could be yeah, that. Yeah, I think it, 
I mean, if it does get very popular, and I'm not saying that um, like brain implants and body body you know body modifications, like if you implant a computer into your brain and then all you need to do is download a program a program and now you can yeah. speak Hindi yeah. or now you can speak Spanish or now you can speak Russian. You know, I'm not going to say that that won't be, won't eventually be a thing, but I don't see that happening for a very, very long time. Um, mm. I think that, you know, to an extent, um, even, even though people are more comfortable with electronics and devices, I think that there's still, there's still a lot of, um, mistrust, you know, there people have mistrust around like machines taking our jobs, for example. So there's pushback in that sense of people being worried about being replaced by an automated system or by like a kiosk or a robot. Um, I think that we're going to need to, you know, we're really going to need to have technology supplement our lives, but not replace us. Mm, yeah, that that's true. Yeah, that's an interesting take. So now let's go on a new tangent from here. So Mware has been doing a really exciting stuff. I think you joined just two months ago, if I'm right, in the health and wellness area. So like, how would you describe a day in your life there? Yeah, so I'm aware is a just for for clarification for your um, for your listeners. So I'm aware is a startup that. Uh, it started back in 2017, and so what we do is we uh, we basically provide home healthcare kits. Where if you say like I want I want a wellness check on my you know on my my personal like a general men's wellness test, or I want to know my testosterone levels, or I want to know just you know a variety of things about my person or about my body. What I can do is I can order an I'm aware test. It costs usually costs like less than most of them are less than a hundred dollars. And you prick your finger with the lancet, get a few drops of blood out, mail that out, and you can get your results. And that's we've found that something like that, this model has been very helpful for um you know, people for a variety of uses. Like if you've got uh, bodybuilders, for example, who really want to, uh, you know, they want to know like uh, about their testosterone levels to see if they can lift more. Or if you've got, you know, say like elderly people that don't get out a lot and they want to, they want to keep up with their health. Um, it can be really useful for that. And the direction that we want to go to is we want to, I mean, I, I can't, I don't think I can speak too much to yeah, yeah. our overall vision, but we want to to move towards making healthcare more accessible at home. Um, the big, you know, the big thing that we see with, uh, with our healthcare system, I, I don't know how it is over in India, but it's definitely the case here in, here in the United States is that uh, a lot of healthcare is kind of focused. It's, it's what's called sick care. So mm, yeah. it's kind of meant to, you know, if we were, if all of us are really healthy, we had nothing going on in our our systems, our immune systems were great, we could fight off cancer, we could fight off anything, doctors would be out of business. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's this, it's and you can go down this, your listeners can go down this rabbit hole if they want to, but if you read up on sick care, it's kind of this uh, this idea that 
we're being provided healthcare, but it's kind of healthcare like, you know, we're we're being required to still take drugs. We're still being required to be reliant on a healthcare system. So we have to keep going back to them instead of just seeing a doctor once. Um, mm. I mean, obviously that opens up a huge debate and a huge can of worms, which we don't need to yeah. go into. But um, our idea, the, the whole purpose of I'm Aware is to be focused on preventative care and not on sick care. Yeah. So we can be... We can be aware of these problems that are these problems in your body that might be coming up. So we can, you know, so you can just change your diet before you start getting start showing signs of cancer or something like that. I think to sum it up in one line, it's like prevention is better than cure. Prevention is better than cure. So yes. that's what I think I'm aware is focusing on. Yep. Great, Absolutely. great stuff happening. So it's been three years since you started conscious career shift where you help people understand UX design and transition to the same like what made you like start this yeah so that's actually something that I did a few years ago um for clarification for your your listeners so conscious career shift is something that I started to um basically as a um as a you know my own personal coaching brand so I could help individuals who are starting out in their UX career to really, you know, identify what, um, you know, what their skills are, how they can, how they can better build themselves into, into this field of UX design, um, and really kind of act as part, um, you know, part career coach, but also kind of part life coach too, because everything ties in, you know, your, your whole life ties in with your career. They're, they're very connected. It's not just one separate from the other. And I've been, I mean, I've, I've been, uh, I've launched kind of a little podcast around that. And then I did some LinkedIn live stream, live streaming for a while. I put that on pause because I basically moved down to Texas and I just bought a house. So I'm trying to get everything set up, but I'm looking at, uh, starting up a YouTube channel around that or getting back into it. Basically it's been on pause for a while. All all the best for that. (laughs) I'll be the first subscriber. Oh, thank so, you. So you've been a massive Airbnb fan as well, right? Uh, and couch surfing. Yeah. Like what was your most fascinating experience while traveling? Oh man. Well, uh, so to, to give a more context to your listeners about this uh, and also to you as well. So I started hosting on couch surfing uh, back in 2018. I was living in Tennessee at the time working at my first UX job. Um, I had heard about Couchsurfing as a platform. Uh, there was, like, one of my sister's friends was really into it and traveled all through South America just by Couchsurfing. And it was something that I had been really curious about, like, hosting people. And um, just, it was, I just kind of, um, I wanted to see what it was like. I start, first started by, excuse me. I first started by, uh, okay. I think it's gone. Um, so I first started by actually being, uh, you know, being one of those travelers and then traveling to like staying with people in other States and just seeing what it was like. And eventually I got more comfortable with it. I realized that, uh, it's actually a lot of fun. And so then I started hosting people, Hosted my first person out in Tennessee. She was a a filmmaker from the United Kingdom who had 
come to basically come to um, come to the the state I was in to do a documentary. Um, I've hosted um, I hosted a veterinarian from Pakistan. I hosted a, a postdoctoral researcher from Brazil. Um, gosh, I've hosted a lot of people from around the states. I hosted a guy from Israel. Um, I've met a lot of really incredible people. And so eventually I, uh, COVID happened. Uh, and at the person at the time I was living with someone who was diabetic and he had kind of health problems and I didn't want to just start bringing more people into the house, not knowing if they, you know, they'd get him sick and put him in the hospital. So I stopped doing that for a while. And then eventually I just, you know, as we all do, we always want something bigger in our lives from where we, from where we are. And I had not really owned property for the longest time. Eventually, you know, I'm, I'm 32 right now. I had made the decision to finally, uh, finally purchase my own property with the intent on having my renters pay off my mortgage. Yeah. And I really liked, you know, looking back on my couch surfing experiences, I loved hosting people. I got, I just met so many incredible people from that, honestly. Um, mm. And I decided that I wanted to keep doing that. So, um, but of course, in a more, you know, in a more professional setting where it's like, it's nicer, there's money, you know, there's a transaction of money being involved. I can, you know, and then I can use my renter, you know, my renters who are coming in and uh, obviously, you know, paying the, the nightly fees and everything. I can use that to renovate my place, get a pergola, get a hot tub, get a, like an ADU unit. Um, and we'll just see where it goes from here. I might, I've been thinking about owning, I know a lot of people own several properties that are just for Airbnb. Yeah. So I might do that. Yeah. Interesting. So I think it's an, it's an extension of the podcast, like connecting with people in real life, like hosting them, getting to know them better as opposed to a one-on-one -on -one interview. So yeah, interesting stuff. Like what's one piece of advice that you would like to give to designers who are just starting out anything? Oh boy. Um, I think, you know, I think I already said something, um, was don't overthink it. You know, don't overthink like, what do I want to specialize in? I would say just start doing, you know, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure your listeners are probably thinking about like, should I do UX design? Should I do UI design? Uh, just start doing something in that field. I feel like it's a lot easier to, uh, to course correct once you've got um, once you've got more context after you've worked you know you've worked a UX job and you realize what it's like you realize what you like what you don't like um, or a UI job or something like that I would say just don't overthink it um, the other thing and this is actually something I was I was uh, having with an off-camera conversation with you Kishov was <laughs> around schooling yeah. Uh, I think that sometimes, and I realize, you know, again, I don't want to speak for everyone out there because everyone has very different life experiences. You come from, you know, everybody comes from very different cultures around education. I've personally found the single most valuable thing for me is not worrying about trying to get the right college degree. I have a marine biology degree and a film degree. I have like, yeah. I have no formal education in user experience. And yet I'm a professional user experience designer. I'm 
the principal, I mean, admittedly it's a startup, but it's still the principal UX position uh, with a company that I'm super excited about. Um, I would say just, fo- you know, first and foremost, just focus on getting experience. And then if you decide later that you need education, do that, but don't put the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. That That's the best way I think someone can put it into. So this was a really interesting, interesting conversation. And like, now we move to rapid fire. I'll be asking yeah. you nine questions and I have to answer each question in 10 seconds. Okay. Okay. okay so which area in UX do you see will see a rise in the coming years? That's no one talking about these days. Voice interaction. Mm-hmm. There's so much focus. Okay. Yeah. Voice interaction because it's it's going to explode. It's going to get very, you know, very widely used in not only phones, but uh, smart devices, cars, everywhere. Interesting. What's the most legible font you've ever come across? I'm going to say a legible font I know, and that's Roboto, because I see it all <laughs> Sure, sure. Your favorite color? Blue. That That's a very spot on. <laughs> what has been yeah. the most memorable experience for you while looking back as a designer? Um, I would say connecting with people through my UX research, learning about their, their pain points or struggles, where they come from. Interesting. A book you would want everyone to read. A book that I will uh, that I want everyone to read. So it's this called this book called Blue Fishing by Steve Sims. It's about uh, teaches you about persuasion and connecting with people. I think it's a phenomenal book for UX designers. Amazing. Your life in one line. Um, doing the best I can. <laughs> amazing, man, amazing. The best thing about being a designer. Um, creativity and flexibility and how I choose, choose to do my job. Your favorite animated movie? Bolt. So what, it's about what? Bolt? It's a, a Disney movie, Bolt. It's about Ooh. a dog who works in Hollywood. And <laughs> okay. then he doesn't have superpowers like you thought. Mm. Thanks for being on the show, Sam. It's really great talking to you. Bye-bye. You got one more. There's one more that you missed. No, no. Only this much. My favorite hangout spot. Oh, yeah. Your favorite hangout spot in Austin, Texas? Radio Coffee. Oh, so what's it known for? Like? Uh, so it's, a, it's a, like a coffee in a bar. And they've cool. got this really cool outdoor seating area. Hmm, amazing. I like to go there a lot. Yeah. Th- thanks for being on the show, Sam. It was really, really great talking to you. No Bye. problem. Thanks, Kishav. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks a lot for sticking till the end. Hope you had an amazing time. If you enjoyed this episode, do give us a rating and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the rate milliseconds HQ for more updates. And in case you want to reach out to Sam, you can head over to the link in the description below. For any questions or feedback regarding the podcast, you can email me at milliseconds HQ at the rate gmail.com. Stay tuned. Cheers.